Oh shit, I get script. All right, everybody, welcome to the Multiverse of Marvel podcast, where each week our resident Marvel guys, Aaron and Dan Gridley, will dive into a crazy corner of the ever-expanding Marvel multiverse to see which topic we will be discussing this week. Welcome, guys, and uh, I think with the, this week we decided on Morbius. Yeah, doesn't that open this weekend? Yeah, it comes out, uh, yeah, like, uh, opens on the first, yeah, but, like, but, uh, but because now they don't do the uh, midnight screenings, they actually do it on, like, the Thursdays, yeah, like, they do, yeah. like the like the premieres on the Wednesdays, and the, yeah, because I have a ticket actually for four ten tomorrow at the Scotia okay. Bank. Okay, nice, nice. Yeah, which will yeah. be probably either I'm probably going to try and get this out either tonight or tomorrow. So if this is this is tomorrow, it's be today for people listening. <laughs> nice at four ten. So like right after work, I like get off at three. Hey, you head straight down there. Yeah, I go. I I'll get home just after three. I'll uh, do that and just be able to walk down because Scotia Bank Theater is like a literally like a block and a half away or maybe a block yeah, i'll dox myself i don't care i live like right downtown toronto so it's like, yeah, you know, it sounds like you don't live too far from my brother-in-law yeah so yeah so like uh, what I, I knew it, like that theater was close like when i moved here but like i uh, i went to go with the i think it was when spider-man like when the theaters opened up in the november or whatever it was i like i went to go around my bike and i was like oh shit i didn't think it was this fucking close because nice. <laughs> i knew like yeah because like yeah, much music's like right around the corner yep, there. right up the street yep yeah and then like yeah they used to work i worked there for a summer like 10 years ago yeah so oh, i was nice. kind of right so it would have been good if i was working ba- there. Back oh, yeah. and you're right by silver snail <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah so yeah yeah because uh yeah it, w- it would have been good because the silver snail was like right there but actually the building's not even there anymore yeah. Well, yeah, but you know what? The new Silver Snail is just down yeah, yeah, a little yeah, further, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's like it's like uh, like four or five stops, I think. Yeah, so just, uh, just go there on the side of uh, Spadana. Actually, it's fairly close to where I used to live. Yeah, last time I lived in Toronto a few years ago at uh, Bathurst and uh, Spadana, right, Bathurst and Adelaide. So, so I'm glad I don't uh, live there anymore because I would just be going there all the time, spending all my money. Yeah, <laughs> true enough. I might be going <laughs> down Sunday, so I might be wandering in there uh... spending a bit of money. Oh, figures. I work at uh, midnights on Sunday, so obviously. Ah, yeah. No, we're uh, we're thinking of heading down on, on Sunday and hit up the aquarium and a few other things. Oh, nice. So, yeah, I think it'll be here tonight. Be here birthday me. Saturday. I figure, you know, I might as well go to Silver Snail and get something, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 They actually, I think they still have a copy of the main Spider Man uh, number 61 up on the wall. Oh, wow. Uh, but, but it doesn't seem to be in the best of shape. So I think that's why it's still there. But uh, I bet I've just been looking at it from the floor because I don't want to grab it because if i grab it and touch it i'll buy it fair so. enough <laughs> so. it's, it's tragic how that happens sometimes yeah, yeah so but uh yeah going to see uh, morbius in theaters uh i don't know about it um uh, how successful it'll be yeah but yeah so as um... far as being a spin-off of spider-man this one works as a movie independent of spider-man because morbius his origin has jack shit to do with spider-man 
Yeah, so like, like, uh, like what was his origin in the, the books? Like, uh, uh, pretty much the same as what they're per, they're showing here in the the trailers for the movie, and what was uh, depicted in the cartoon uh, back in uh, the nineties. Uh, he's he going for dying. plasma. Plasma. <laughs> well, let's let's get that out of the way right away. I know. I was thinking <laughs> about that all day. I was like, I knew like the, all the true tragedies that. of the character, especially considering that the character originally comes out of all the censorship rules being relaxed in Marvel. <laughs> that, that, it's, it's another one of those stupid 90 censorship where it's like, okay, so at the time I, we just thought it was stupid. Now that I'm older, I understand, okay, plasma is a part of blood. Yeah. So I, he's still I, going after blood. So what the didn't hell? I was eight or nine at the time. I was yeah, eight like, or nine, Aaron. I was a year older and I knew that plasma was a part I was of like, it. I'm, I'm I was like, I'm matter. fairly certain that's what they're doing. Yeah, but I'm, but like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm like, I'm fairly certain that's what that means. But yeah, it's, no, it's, the same, it was... it's the same as like, you know, how they didn't let them have actual guns. They were laser guns. And it's like, yeah. but the effect is still the same thing. It's yeah. still a shot at people to kill them. What's the point of the censorship? Yeah, I just find it ironic that Okay, censorship's been lifted. What can we do? Let's have a vampire. And then <laughs> 20 years later, hey, we're doing Spider-Man cartoon. Let's put Morbius in it. We can't have a vampire. How do we censor this character? <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, in pretty much all depictions, uh, Michael Morbius uh, was uh, born or afflicted at some point in his life with uh, a terminal blood disease yeah. uh, exceptionally rare one he's one of the few people to have lived as long as he did with uh, said disease yeah. uh, being a brilliant uh, biochemist uh, and a fairly unorthodox uh, mad scientist type and did he become the uh, expert in all this stuff to cure himself or just coincidentally um it, or or is it implied or does br- brilliant mind regardless of any of it happen yeah. to be applied towards the problem that he uniquely suffers yeah. i mean he's he's an expert in most yeah, you, biology you see i was super smart then focus it yeah yeah like as we get through his history you'll see that there's uh there's a few impressive things he's done that you wouldn't expect. He's kind of like Magneto in the sense that you look at him and you see one thing, but when you dig deep, you're like, oh, wow, this this guy can do this, 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 and this, and they don't really have much to do with his powers? Oh, wow. Yeah, no, Morbius, uh, he... Uh, the, the exact nature of what he does to try to cure his powers varies, but usually it involves vampire bats. And whatever serum he concocts to, to help help cure his uh, blood disease ends up turning him turning him into a uh, scientific pseudo vampire. Yes, because um, the other that the line for the movie it says, yeah, I got here. It's that biochemist Michael Morbius tries to cure himself of rare blood disease, but inadvertently infects himself with a form of vampirism instead. Yep. Yep. Um, not sure to what degree his power set will extend to in the movie, but originally in the comics, uh, his physiology was altered so that uh, his muscles uh, were lighter and that specifically his bones were hollow. And this somehow allowed for him to fly. It was elaborated on later on to include some sort of psionic ability, but yeah, he, he flies because he's super light and he. It looks like, like in one of the trailers, he might turn to mist. 
I, I was kind of thinking that they might include some of his Lil yeah. and Spawned abilities from the 90s, which we'll, we'll get to. Uh, but well, I think they're just going with that instead of just having says, him do the land yeah. of bones flying sort of thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I, I don't think that he will literally be yeah. part Lillen in it. I think no, of course not. Of course not. They're, they're not going to get into that. Adapt it yeah. for it because it, it honestly makes more sense. Some of it's, what he could do in the 90s was actually pretty cool. Um, but in the 70s, when he first appeared, uh, it was limited to uh, flight, super strength, uh, the need for uh, uh, to, to suck blood. And he could function during the day, but he became extremely lethargic and weak. Um, so his, he's only a, like a morning walker instead of a day walker. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, uh, his pseudo vampiric status does lend him to uh, be a bit of a. Uh, the uh, yin to uh, blades yang. Um, yeah. There is often uh, a rivalry between them, uh, neither of them being uh, true vampires in any sense. Yeah. In fact, it was exposure to uh, Morbius's uh, vampiric enzymes that turned Blade into the uh, um, cinematic daywalker that he was known as. A lot of the, uh, the need for blood and all the uh, extra vampire abilities, Blade didn't have those abilities originally. Um, his only real super ability originally was immunity to vampire bites. But as we've said, Morbius isn't a real vampire. Um, his first appearance would be back in Spider-Man 101, uh, the second part of the uh, classic six-armed Spider-Man story. Oh, yeah. So you probably remember a bit of that from uh, the cartoon. Yeah, same that, sort of thing. He wants yeah. to rid himself of his powers. Uh, and that, he's and been that's thinking where they about Punisher as well in that, uh, in that uh, little... Uh... In the cartoon, yeah, yeah. but it oh, yeah. doesn't happen in the comics for a couple yeah, yeah, well, of so, yeah. and yeah. a half or two and a half years, I think. Yeah. It was yeah. what? Yeah, because he like, he's still chose up in Spider-Man. So, something like that was yeah, uh, his something like that. Yeah, I know, and anyway. I know it's always funny that I learned that from uh, Coyote Ugly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and that and that wasn't the line that Kevin, that that I uh, stayed in from when uh, Kevin Smith did a draft of it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, no Blade or uh, Morbius is quite a bit uh, earlier than that, at least a year and a two and a half years earlier. Yeah. Um, so the the start of the story is Peter wanting to be rid of his uh, arms, takes this serum that he's concocted himself. You have made uh, it clear that Spider Peter had extra arms, not just his regular arms, but the extra yeah, arms the, the, the six arm Spider Man story. Yeah. So yeah. he takes this uh, serum, has uh, wild hallucinations uh, in his sleep, and all the while oh my sides just keep aching and aching i've never experienced a pain like this and he wakes up and he's got four additional arms down his sides are they like and he like, freaks uh, out even are more. they human arms or like spider arms they are human arms okay remember it was like that in the cartoon okay uh, he in his costume he had like the upper two arms were yeah. like in his costume but then yeah, like, no, the they're... next two were like bare yeah um <laughs> So he, uh, after kind of figuring out, okay, I got to deal with this, got to deal with this, uh, he gets a hold of Dr. Kurt Connors, the lizard, yeah. knowing that, okay, this is a guy who's got the know-how to help out. You know, I'm not going to anybody, but I'll talk to him and see if he's got any advice. And the guy's like, oh, well, my, my beach house down the coast here, it's got a fully stocked lab. You've helped me before you you head down there you get started i'll meet up with you when i can but yeah that, that's the place you want to be so peter hops a train 
on the exterior, not the interior, obviously. He's very, very, very self-conscious about his additional. <laughs> Weirdly enough, I did imagine him just like sitting down on the train. <laughs> like just sitting there. Just like, shrugging it arms. off as Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah just like, hey, hey people, how's it going? <laughs> but no, this is this is really getting to him because uh, like uh, he's he's had to uh, make it seem like he's breaking up with... Uh, I think it's Gwen. He's still dating at this point. At the comics, I believe it was still Gwen at that yeah. point. Oh, Gwen's still alive at this point. Okay. Yeah, this is still pretty early. He's... Yeah, no, I, 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 I never actually would die. What, uh, what number does she die? Do you know? Uh, uh, it's again, it's another couple of years. I think it's before Punisher, but definitely sometime after this. Yeah, he's he's making it seem like he's disinterested in a relationship with her because he's so you know, caught up in the Spider-Man crap. And then he decides, no, no more Spider-Man. Uh, but anyways, he's back at the uh, the mansion uh, that uh, the lizard or Kurt Connors has. He's making progress, but unbeknownst to him, uh, Morbius is just napping upstairs in the attic. Uh, not at, too... As, uh, he, as he does. Well, not too prior to this. He was off on the other side of the world, somewhere in Europe, uh, <laughs> doing uh, his bit to try to cure his uh, situation. Oh, trying to go and, to like Transylvania and go about like the uh, beginning no, of vampires? No, no, or he's, just... he's Greek. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he is from Europe. But uh, they and... were, his lab was set up on like a big uh, like freighter or yacht or some, some giant ship. He was out at uh, sea. Oh, okay. uh, but the, the experiment goes awry. He has these vampiric urges. He also tends to go crazy when he has the thirst. He doesn't really have the ability to control himself. He's he's more or less a metaphor for addiction. Like he really cannot control who he attacks when he is uh, afflicted by his uh, his vampiric thirst and has been known to drain both friend and foe. Um, there have been adventures where he has gone to great lengths to save somebody only to have his own thirst betray him at the end and force him to then kill that person for their blood. A nice friend. He's, he's kind of <laughs> tragic. It's, it's no surprise that when he meets the 90s ghostwriter for the first time and is subjected to the penance stare, it doesn't actually do anything to him. Uh, his response to Ghost Rider is like, you haven't shown me anything that I don't already know. <laughs> like, he is very much aware of all of the, the pain and misery that his existence has caused, and he is always trying to find a cure. Um, he's another example of the sort of villain that kind of brings out the worst in Spider-Man. Um, much like how when Spider-Man... Up until his time with the Avengers, when Spider-Man would encounter somebody like Wolverine, Wolverine's killer instinct would really unnerve Spider-Man and throw him off his game. Uh, when he encounters somebody like Ghost Rider, he always tends to assume the worst and that Ghost Rider is going to be some destructive monster that will kill people. And when it comes to guys like Morbius, he always just assumes the worst. And again, you know, when he could help, as we've seen the way uh, the Tom Holland Spider-Man in the movies thinks, you know, if, if the 616 Spider-Man had that mentality, there'd be a lot fewer problems in his life in the comics. If that's very true. 
if he actually took the time to stop quipping with most of his villains and be like squirrel girl and actually talk to them and figure out what's your game here why are you doing this what is what are you trying to accomplish and you know a lot of time you find out oh yeah i'm afflicted by this problem and i need to do something to correct it you know we saw how well that worked in the the movies i kind of wish the comics was a little bit like that but anyways the the situation back at the uh, beach house gets exacerbated when the lizard shows up and well sorry not the lizard kurt connors is there to help but when morbius wakes up having i skipped a bit yeah sorry morbius was back on his boat the experiment went awry he caused problems he jumps ship because again crazy as you do he jumps ship is adrift gets almost immediately picked up by another ship this one on its way to america and oh, you know he, he does the the literary Street dracula thing and just starts picking off the crew man <laughs> after man after man until there's just a handful left panicking at the thought uh, that the that'd be terrifying because you can't really do anything because you jump off board you die or you just or somebody else what take him next. the voyage of the demeter again you know <laughs> demeter demeter I'm thinking of different ways I've heard it pronounced. Uh, words, man, words. I don't know. The ship from Dracula. All right, yes. But uh, the ship, uh, well, it doesn't crash where uh, the boathouse or the, the, the shore house, lake, beach house is. A Morbius once again jumps ship because crazy and it's washes okay, up, <laughs> washes up at the shore of the beach house and that's when he decides all right i'm just going to chill here for the day uh but wakes up after dr kurt connors shows up and the stress of the conflict of course makes uh kurt connors lizard out and the lizard <clears throat> of course hates spider-man so he doesn't care that there's this weirdo vampire attacking spider-man Spider-Man's lizard's enemy. He's got to kill Spider-Man. He's mine. Mor Morbius's uh, perspective on this is: I don't care who I bite. I gotta bite somebody because I'm. <laughs> I just woke up and I'm hungry. My stomach is just gnawing at me, <laughs> and a bagel's just not gonna cut it. So he's like, if "You want to attack Spider-Man? Fine. I'll just bite you." And he bites the lizard, and. Spider-Man, you know, recovering, saying, hey, you know, nope. Kurt Connors is my friend, so technically the lizard's my friend. Get off my friend. And he knocks... That's my half-friend. Well, the funny thing is, is once he knocks Morbius aside, the lizard pops up and it, he's got the consciousness of Dr. Kurt Connors. Something about Morbius's bite has kind of reversed part of the lizard transformation. So after, you know, Morbius flees, Spider-Man and Lizard talk things out and figure out, okay, we got to get a hold of this Morbius guy. You know, there's something special about his blood. After, you know, chasing him down, doing a bunch of science stuff, Lizard finally figures out, okay, you know, it's, we're, we're looking for something in his blood. It's not in his blood, it's in his saliva. He bit me. You know, of course it's like that. Why are we being stupid? And they figure out there's something in his saliva that allows 
them to turn the lizard back into Kurt Connors and get rid of Spider-Man's four limbs. But wouldn't you know it, they have a misunderstanding because they don't really ever talk things out with Morbius or he's going crazy because blood. And he takes off into the night and, you know, he's just going to be seen again. But this opens the door for Stanley to be like, all right. So we just had our first vampire. I think things went well. Let's open the floodgates. Let's get Dracula. Let's get a werewolf. Let's let's get a flaming biker. Let's do a daughter of Dracula. Oh, oh, I, I wanted always wanted to do a devil's daughter comic. Let's get that. She needs a brother. Let's introduce her brother first. A cousin and, of Frankenstein. Yeah, well, we, we got Frankenstein. We got to have him in it. You know, he's public <laughs> domain. Uh, you know, we can't have uh, Dracula versus Frankenstein without Frankenstein and Dracula. So, you know. The Morbius the werewolves just... in the mix. Hey, why yeah. not even a living mummy and a zombie? Yeah. Oh, I got zombies. The Marvel zombie, Simon Garth. You know, that's a good one. But yeah, it's Morbius opens the floodgates for all kinds of stuff to happen. Over the next little while, he just pretty much floats around as um, an a, a occasional villain. He shows up in a couple of issues of Marvel Team Up. Um, I think giant sized superheroes. Uh, but uh, towards the end of the 70s, he ends up taking over the recently vacated Adventures into Fear. Uh, at first, Fear had been a reprint series until issue 10. And, uh, uh, and what were they reprinting? Uh, just different 50s uh, and uh, early 60s uh, horror anthology stories that had uh, been published by Marvel. Marvel's got tons of all kinds of old horror stuff that, you know, uh, there's some debate whether or not it is part of the Marvel universe. Um, the amount of stories that were just part of these like weird horror books, you know, stuff comparable to Tales from the Crypt. Um okay. But there's there's a number of them that have been referenced later on in Marvel continuity to lead enough credence that yeah there's some scary shit going on in the Marvel universe before all the superheroes showed up in the in the corners yeah like if if you you take all that into account yeah superheroes are definitely a positive influence in the Marvel universe because previously all kinds of horrors of the night existed like. The SCP Foundation's got nothing on what Marvel had to deal with before superheroes. No, craziness then, craziness now, craziness to come. So Fear, after the reprints, became the Man-Thing's title. Man-Thing ran from 10 to 19. 19 gives us Howard the Duck. That story spins right off into Man-Thing. He gets his own... Yeah. Oh, fuck those. We'll, we'll, we'll cover Howard at some point. Yeah. <laughs> He's worth it. He's worth it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but, but uh, yeah, it was the guy's stance on the movie. I enjoy it. I There's a couple of questionable things about it. Um, <laughs> nipples yeah. on a duck. Yeah, no, I know. I was going to say, yeah, like, I, I have. Yeah. I have the Jimmy Fear about I saw it. I've seen it the last like two years, and I have the Jimmy Fear about that. It caught me yeah. off guard. Uh, there. It's it's not the Steve Gerber Howard the Duck. Um, no. It's very much the the um, 
Marvel edict, Bill Mantlo written Howard the Duck, this uses Duck World and kind of takes a lot of the. That's like, because that's where like, they show that, like, that. That's where. Howard's a bit more of a cliche in the movie than uh, a cipher as he is in the comics. Like, he's he's very much a vehicle for Steve Gerber's voice in the comic, and Gerber's got a lot to say. And then after gerber leaves howard becomes just kind of a commodity but yeah we will we'll get into howard at another time he's well worth it well worth it but uh once that stuff gets off in its own direction fear is left all right we need something now morbius is given that as his title adventures into fear starring morbius uh he gets to uh be the star of that title from there until the end of the run uh issues 20 to 31 and on top of being the star of that four color comic he was the headliner for the black and white vampire tales magazine um i have one issue of vampire tales and it just happens to be the lilith issue not any of the multiple morbius issues so I'm very grateful to have uh, Lilith, daughter of Dracula, but I have always wanted to experience the uh, um, uh, the Morbius stories in Vampire Tales because I honestly have no idea what goes on in them. Like I know for the first half of uh, the, or the first third at least of the uh, Fear series, uh, there's a conflict between uh, Blade and Morbius. And I've got a reprint and a few issues from the end of the series. And it's some weird extra dimensional adventure where there's this big kaiju sized demon that's just covered in eyeballs, like right down to his fingernails being covered yeah. in eyeballs. And if I do recall though, Maritime Bancroft shows up towards the end of that series she is the love of morbius's life she is the girlfriend who he jumped off of the ship to avoid devouring he's bitten her once or twice and she some writers have flip-flopped back and forth over whether this can happen or not but sometimes if morbius bites a victim they become infected with a lesser strain of his disease and they can be cured through a serum made from his his blood but as to whether or not this actually happens whether or not he's aware of this this can vary decade to decade um from what i've seen this was brought to his attention like way back in stories in the 70s like in the adventures into fear stuff but I seem to recall reading stories in the nineties where like, it's this big shock that like, Oh my God, there's victims of his that have, you know, they've risen up as vampires and they've created even more victims. It's a domino effect. So yeah, I'm not exactly sure what's going on there. I'll just chalk it up to frequent bouts with insanity causing memory loss. (laughs) It's, it's, It's known to happen. I got no better explanation for that. Or, or amnesia. I don't think there's any so uh, outright amnesia. amnesia, but there have been times where Morbius has been left in pretty destitute circumstances. Like right before his revival in the 90s, like he was left like, you know, hiding out in the sewers. Yeah. This is not 
normal for him. Hanging, hanging out with the Morlocks? I think they're all dead by that no, point. No, oh. no, not. Oh, yeah, not, that's right. I keep on jetting that. Yeah, fuck. Yeah. Uh, the, when he hangs out in the sewers much later, it's during Norman Osborn's reign, and there's like a whole community of monsters living in the former Morlock tunnels. That, that and from based on especially uh, a book that I just read, the underground in New York is massive. Oh yeah, oh, I'd imagine it would be. Eh? Yeah, or it's no, like no, no, you have, you have no idea. Stories. There, or, or like I always think of it as like old New York from like uh, Futurama, yeah, <laughs> where well, it's just like a city built on another like old. <laughs> no, more like, like that, though. more like deliberately building yeah. parts of a city underground for the elite to use, and then never having any reason or opportunity to use it. Like there is one spot where it literally does go thirty stories underground. I went down, yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah, even the yeah south uh, building and the convention center is like what, like four or five floors out now. Yeah. <laughs> there, uh, yeah, Toronto so. gets pretty deep in some spots, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah I've, so I've seen some of those foundation digs. That oh, yeah. yeah, they go. Oh deep. yeah, that's almost vertigo inducing looking down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, as we go through the the Morbius uh, uh, chronology, there, um, Vampire Tales. Um, none of the uh, Marvel magazines tend to last anything longer than like a dozen or so issues um i think vampire tales only lasted like 11 but morbius was the star of most of those uh issues uh featuring lots of other uh vampire stories too some dealing with recurring characters like uh, uh blade or uh um, the previously mentioned lilith dracul dracula's daughter there there's two liliths in marvel there's the ghost rider villain and then there's the dracula daughter um yeah dracula's daughter is sometimes a good guy but not often the other one's always bad when she decides to be um i think during the vampire tales stuff uh she she's not a normal vampire but she's still a magic one she was possessing the body of some teenage girl or something and you know innate goodness of that girl was making Lilith do, you know, heroic type stuff. You gotta have a reason to root for the bad guys sometimes. Uh, Of course. But uh, after the seriousness of Vampire Tales, we get one of the goofier stories. Uh, Marvel Premiere 28, The Legion of Monsters. I mean, it's a pretty cool title for a story. I mean, Legion of Monsters how do you get better than that but the actual story is eh, you got man thing ghost rider the werewolf and morbius all being teleported to one simultaneous mountain spontaneously created by you'll love this dan glorian ah that glorian glorian Glorian. Who's, uh, who's a glorian he was a character that was introduced in Fantastic Four who had the power to basically grant whatever wishes and make things really good for you. Or at least make you think that. Yeah. Like there... my, my first introduction to him was an issue of Generation X where he basically did it to all of them except for Skin because it, there was nothing he could have given Skin's skin Skin's too skin much wanted. of a cynic. Yeah. The skin was too much of a realist about you know his position in life. And yeah, that kind of shit really frustrates Glorian. You know, he's not like, you know, I can make it so that you, you know, don't look like that. 
I'm comfortable with the way I look. What's yeah, wrong so with the way a, I look? Yeah, so it's a fantastic four number thirty-four. He, uh, he shows up. Yeah, yeah I think was, he really uh, he's also yeah. messed around with uh, the Hulk a fair bit. Yep, he has. Um, but uh, yeah, he's he's got this whole idea that he can you know fix all these horror characters, and most of them realize that it's not a real fix. There's there's something artificial about the effect of glorian's powers like he doesn't seem to be a reality warper it really seems to be more of super realistic illusions let me see here it says, there seems uh, to be a little more to it because in the generation like, x one tachyon Deliberation was a fake, here. but but m was with m plate and based on some of the things m plate says it probably actually was m plate that that's weird too but that's but that also might have to do with him being a magic being himself, right? I was just going to say uh, M-Plate status as being trapped in a, an extra-dimensional pocket universe that usually, you know, he's not the only one I've seen in a situation that he's in where you, mm-hmm. you're in some weird liminal space that th- there's nothing you can do with it and you can't get out. But other things always seem to insect with these little pocket prison dimensions. So that always makes for variables, always. Mm-hmm. And that's part of one of the things that makes Emplate such a cool character is that, you know, he will always be a big variable for the X-Men. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Glorian's whole thing doesn't really work. It, none, of the, none of the heroes are monster heroes, hero monsters. Yeah, the monster hero is a different character. Um, <laughs> they they don't really jive with it, and they reject him. And it's kind of a again, kind of a lame story. But it it gives Marvel like Legion of Monsters. This is our title now. We'll use this a couple more times. Um, after this, um, we start getting closer to uh, the end of the seventies, into the eighties, into the Jim Shooter reign, and Ba-ba-pow. I might have mentioned. I might have mentioned this before, but something goes on under the shooter's reign. I don't know if Shooter himself is responsible for it, but there seems to be a big purging of all of the horror elements. Just a lot of the horror elements. A lot of titles around that point got purged. Oh yeah, yeah. But when you look at at like some of the stuff, like you go through my collection of horror stuff, and you see how packed it is when you go through. Like, and the then stuff you get to the eighties and it basically crashes. And then you got like. Yeah, Ghost Rider gets cancelled in uh, 83. Prior to that, you had Tomb of Dracula and Werewolf by Night. They had, you know, at uh, 70 and I think 43-ish. In fact, from what I understand of your collection is by the time you get to that point, more of the horror stuff for the next little while is actually issues of X-Men and New Mutants. From what I have, yeah. Like, like, you got Doctor Strange throughout the 80s. Uh, But as for actual, like, horror titles there's a Mephisto miniseries and it's him yeah, playing. Remember, yeah. Does yeah. he actually show it's up? It's basically him playing Pokemon with various superhero women of the Marvel universe. But does Gotta he show up in that all. series though? Mephisto? Yes. Oh, he is the goddamn star of it. <laughs> so he finally God does show up. Star <laughs> Adam, Mephisto doesn't not show up in the comics. <laughs> yeah, dude. Right, right now, right now in the comics, there is the council of Mephistos. The Mephistos from all the different universes. Uh, seriously? Yeah. Seriously, seriously. That, that, that's what's so silly about the whole, like, Mephisto's behind everything. He's hiding behind the scenes. Mephisto doesn't hide behind the scenes. 
he is an outright manipulator. If you're not going to damn yourself through your own means and he wants your soul, he is going to start fucking with you. That's what he did to the Silver Surfer. I mean, Adam, you know about the whole one more day thing with Spider-Man, right? Oh, God, that nonsense. Uh, yeah, that was... Uh, and the ending the marriage. That, and yeah, by, yeah. By and and the, 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 what they the, just revealed in the comics is that was, the whole reason that Mephisto did that is because Spider-Man is going to one day defeat him. But it, not actually Peter... Peter and Mary's and May's daughter is going to one day defeat Mephisto. So Mephisto manipulated the entire situation to make sure she was never born. Uh, I called it. Yeah. I called it. Wasn't I saying right from the get go? Okay. So the marriage is being negated. So you're going to tell me that they, you know, good Catholic boy, Joe Casada is going to say, yeah, uh, Peter and Mary Jane not only had premarital sex because they never got married. They had a baby out of wedlock. Yeah. 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 So my immediate thought was okay so mephisto's just through spider-man and his desires rewritten a good chunk of spider-man's history and not only taken mayday parker out of reality but i'm pretty sure until they started retconning shit later on normie got negated too because yeah, liz, liz and harry weren't together yeah they they did negate things to bring him back yet but at the start of it like not only did peter and mary jane not get married but liz osborne and uh harry osborne they never got married so i'm like okay mephisto's just got two innocent souls and nobody's the wiser that's some messed up shit right there yeah that story probably shouldn't have been told in the first place bad mephisto you can you can never trust him but yeah throughout the 80s morbius is pretty much uh, delegated to appearances in like She-Hulk, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four. Um, he's just kind of here and there. Sometimes he gets cured, sometimes he's not. I think he gets hit by lightning at one point while <laughs> sucking on Peter Parker's blood, and that cures him of all of his Morbius problems and stuff. Uh, not too sure. Because, you, know, like, you know, electricity solves everything. Hey. This is the Marvel Universe, man. Of course Remember. it does. <laughs> but Just, you uh, know, say, say it was magic, magic uh, lightning from Thor, you know? There you go. <laughs> right? I was like half a thought behind you. I was like, I was, You'd uh, be surprised how often that excuse works. I've been reading, <laughs> rereading Thunderbolts, and we get to a part where a few of the Thunderbolts under uh, Luke Cage's command are like, uh, yeah, I, I can get us out of here. Um, when we go through Man Thing's portal, I'm just gonna send a pulse wait, through Thor's wait, hammer. Wait, wait, wait! Yeah, Man together. Thing has portals. Man Thing is the guardian of the nexus of all realities. The wait, what? That's his role in the Marvel universe. Yep, that is. Hey, we got, we got to do Man Thing then, because I'm freaking. Well, uh, you got to learn about okay. Man Thing then. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, Man, Man Thing's a good one. I can cover a good chunk of Man Thing. I have many of his issues, and I've got his uh, the first two essentials. Right. Um. Actually, I'm close. All right, to so that. yeah, so after do uh, Doctor Strange, yeah. we can do a uh, Man Thing. Man Thing, uh, yeah, I'm definitely down for that one. All right, but um, getting back on track with Morbius and where he's going in life, we find him at a particular low during uh, during Todd McFarlane's ejectless Spider-Man run, the lowest of the low. I don't mean to make fun of it. I mean, there are things I like about uh, McFarlane's uh, Spider-Man run, like 
when I say objective list, it's just Spider Man. There's no amazing, no. Spider-Man. I was gonna say, I was gonna say which no, one it was. Yeah, because yeah, because I because I, I have his amazing Spider Man run. <laughs> yeah, this is the series that started in yeah. uh, 1990. Yeah, the one that he had um, like like five or six different covers and oh, stuff. God, it was insane back in those days. Well, it's still insane. It's insane nowadays. Some, oh yeah, for yeah, some titles and stuff. Yeah, yeah, some of those yeah. Star Wars comics. But um, yeah, the yeah. one that did like 50 covers. Yeah, dude, uh, at work, I've occasionally had the opportunity to uh, price out comic books. And there's been some stuff I've looked up. I, I just keep scrolling through the listings. Just like, oh, my God, we're still on the same single issue. Yeah. How many covers have they put out of this one Darth Vader comic? Jesus. But yeah, uh, McFarlane's uh, Spider-Man comic. Um, it's got its detractors for being really poorly written and I can't really argue against that. And I don't know that McFarland himself could either when he is admitted to only reading the sports section of the newspaper. I don't see how you can expect to be a quality writer. I was, I was just about to ask if he was a good writer. Or not. <laughs> McFarland grows as a writer, but it's debatable about whether he ever improves as a writer. Um, writing aside, the story he's telling in the Spider-Man stuff is pretty entertaining. You got Torment for the first five issues where Craven's uh, lover Calypso shows up to get revenge Calypso. on Spider-Man for killing Craven or being responsible for Craven's death in her eyes. Um, it's not Calypso's first appearance, but Spider-Man never met her previously, so he has no idea what's going on. He does not know who this woman is who's tormenting him. He doesn't know what her relationship is to anything. Once he starts hallucinating images of Craven the Hunter as a dead body, you know, haunting him, he starts to kind of clue things in. Yeah, it kind of pieces it together. Next few issues involve the lizard, involve the Wendigo, involve Wolverine. Wait, no, lizard's not in those. Lizard's somewhere else. Sorry, I got that one mixed up. But again, another kind of horror-y themed story. And then we get to issues 13 and 14, where Spider-Man finds Morbius kind of lording it over a bunch of hobos living in the sewers. And it's really a sad pathetic situation that morbius is in he gets his ass handed to him by spider-man as what normally happens and well when you kick that low what do you do but you look for a friend's couch to crash on that takes us to his morbius's first uh, issue of his own comic this is a little bit of a uh, a deep dive here because this is part of the rise of the midnight suns um having previously mentioned lilith uh this is the ghostwriter villain lilith uh the atlantean sorceress uh in no pre-atlantean sorceress actually she fucked with atlantis but i don't think she was atlantean uh she is inspired by the uh uh, the the Lilith of uh, Jewish uh, mythology, uh, Adam's first wife in the Bible. I didn't uh, have a wife. What are you talking about? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Are are you <laughs> claiming to be in that uh, magnum opus? That is the Bible. I wouldn't want to be in that. There's so no. much death and destruction and. Hey, that, that, no, that was my fault. I mean, 
his fault. <laughs> so I mean, according to what I'm seeing here, Lilith did live in Atlantis, so it doesn't say whether she yeah, is Atlantean or not. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she predates Atlantis just based on the things she does and just being the general mother of demons, uh, which is, from what I understand, a role she fulfills in, in real mythology, too. Um, so she's been freed from her imprisonment uh, that the Atlantean sorcerers had put her in and the nine are prophesized to be the ones to take her out. Uh, Ghost Rider, this, this kicks off uh, right after the story arc of Danny Ketch having been killed. Um, he got his throat torn out and while that was happening he transformed into ghost rider ghost rider dealt with things but he's experienced this vision during it he he has this vision of lilith and the nine he knows that they've got to gather up these other heroes he knows john blaze is one of them he finds blaze shows him the vision they got to find these others morbius is one that they recognize so they go to uh after a little bit of a detour uh where wolverine you know he's got to check out ghost rider you you don't still have a brood in you we we tangled the brood in new orleans i'm i'm worried about you you're clean all right you go you go on your way and on your way is i believe no it wasn't boston that's where the night stalkers are i forget what city they're in but morbius having you know fled his subterranean uh hovel uh, is burning up in the sunlight and decides, fuck it, I'm going to my buddy's place, crashes through the window of an old colleague of his who has this nice, lavish penthouse apartment with a beautiful sunrise view. Uh, they don't say how much it's going to cost to replace the light or the, uh, the window that Morbius smashes. But they find that something's going on with Morbius and his condition may be stabilizing. So they start doing a little bit of work and research to try to figure out if they can, you know, make this stability a bit more permanent thing. They at least get it to the point where Morbius can kind of operate and act as a human and look human and kind of suppress the bloodlust for a while. But as they're refining the serum, Lilith has one of her guys... Um, one of the demons named fang they never elaborate on him because he gets killed fairly early in the overall just a job of the story basically he exists seemingly to do this one thing which is you know the idea is okay you know they're gonna they're gonna fix morbius we want morbius dead if he's dead he can't be part of the nine go taint the serum with your lilin blood that's poison that'll kill him Unbeknownst, Fang's a guy. <laughs> I knew that. Fang, they all, they all look like punks or monsters or something for some reason. But uh, the, the tricky thing here is that uh, not the friend that Morbius has crashed on, but another friend that Morbius is working with, an older friend of his, that friend is working himself for a previous villain dr Payne, uh something to do with dr. Pain. yeah and well wouldn't you know it that serum is already tainted and poisoned to begin <laughs> with so okay. when when fang sneaks in drops some of his blood in it 
it alters the serum to an even further degree where nobody involved is going to have any idea what goes on with it. Morbius takes it and it makes his vampiric form even more monstrous. He retains the ability to still, you know, use the fixed serum, you know, turn back into human for a bit. But now he's finding even more abilities, like as time goes on like he's got the full-on ability to fly not just like glide on drafts or whatever it was he did to begin with and he's developing hypnotic abilities and as his uh, monthly series goes on we find like he can even like distend and morph and almost turn into liquid and like t-1000 his way through things like I wouldn't be surprised if we see some variation of that in the movies, um, but throughout the first issue, we betrayals are discovered. It's figured out that Morbius has been poisoned. It's not for a while that they figure out exactly that he's been tainted with uh, Lillian blood, but you know, at the end of that, that's where Ghost Rider gives him the penance stare. Oh. Oh, you're really a tortured soul who has guilt for every single person you've ever killed. Yeah. Okay, you're cool. You're cool. All right, get out of here. We we, we trust you. We're going to call on you a little bit for some help. But, you know, before that happens, Spider-Man sees in the news that, oh, drain, body drained of blood? Morbius, I have to bring him to justice. Son of a bitch. Yeah. Uh, don't think it goes so well for more for uh, Spider-Man. I think it's one of those situations where, uh, you know, I think Doctor Payne takes uh, Morbius Payne. and is like, "Yeah, torture you, get your secrets, blah blah blah." And Spider's like, "Huh, lesser of two evils, have to save him." <laughs> you know, typical Spider-Man uh, moralizations and whatever. Um, the the uh, crossover continues from there where uh, Ghost Rider and Blaze pick up the rest of the guys. Uh, we get uh, the Night Stock, or no, so we got the Darkholders first, uh, new characters who deal with the uh, Book of uh, Book of Sins, they call it. Uh, Chithon. The, the book that uh, Scarlet Witch is uh, researching at the end of uh, Vision and the Scarlet, or, or uh, WandaVision. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that is the dark hold that she in the comics. Like that's yeah, like the same like all that stuff. The same dark hold from uh, Agents of Shield and stuff. Yep. Shield yep. and uh, uh, Scarlet Witch and all that. Okay. It is basically the Necronomicon of the Marvel Universe, except we know exactly who authored this. Um, <laughs> one of the Elder Gods Play of the Marvel Universe. One of the last big four of the original elder gods one of which is like gaia like mother earth like the earth it's biosphere i don't i don't know how more grandos you can get than that but yeah they they're part of the nine there's three of them and then we get the night stalkers they're a bunch of old school characters we get blade we get hannibal king we get frank drake uh, Frank Drake was a member of the Drac Pack from Tomb of Dracula, along with Rachel Van Helsing and uh, Pack. <laughs> um, Abraham Whistler, or not Whistler. Um, 
I forget uh, the old guy's name at the moment. It's been a little while since I've read. Uh, Hannibal King and Blade also showed up in Tomb of Dracula, but they weren't part of the Drac Pack. Blade would work with them. These were back in the days when Blade was perfectly sane, yeah, back had a social life, you know, had hobbies, had a girlfriend. Did you know girlfriend, that Blade what? was a jazz trumpeter? That he used to play <laughs> in nightclubs? Yeah. Blade used to I, I be see a he's guy. Like trumpet. Why have they not put him together with Drax? I know, man. I want to see a jazz band in the Marvel Universe with Blade and Drax. And I can anybody see, else you can drop a tune. Is this on, me? Let's get, you see, you let's see get ja- Dazzler on vocals there. I'm sure she's see ja- Drax, Drax playing the saxophone. Is it just me? Dra- no, no, Drax Arthur playing saxophone. Douglas is a oh, prof- oh, well, there you go. saxophone that's a, player. Oh, well, there you that's, go. I, I just, one that, of that, his that's, gigs. that's my mind went, went to. I didn't even know that. <laughs> I was like, Drax I know he's a saxophone player. Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. Let's get this get let's get the band together, man. Uh, yeah, who's who's on drums? All right, uh, six arm spider man. <laughs> there we go. No, 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 it'd be like slipknot where they get like all the different Spider-Man on different percussion sets. <laughs> but uh yeah, the the story ends with uh the uh the nine assembling through a portal at the Arctic Circle and doing battle with Lilith and all of her children and defeating her. But of course they don't do the job right. And she comes back, you know, like a year later. Um, But Morbius gets to continue on with his own ongoing series where he gets to experience love, life, and, you know, leather gimp suits. Oh yeah. yeah, No, in the first issue, he gets his new costume from, you know, an S&M fetish store like they don't really disguise it that much like this is the kind of place that Clive Barker was hanging in out and thinking like yeah man Cenobites I can totally picture it I'm going to write a book but uh, yeah uh, Morbius was uh, for the most part one of the darker uh, comics that uh, Marvel published throughout the 90s Um, this stuff all pretty much hit before vertigo was really established like there was a few titles that contributed to becoming vertigo but they were very loosely affiliated the idea of doing something that gravitated towards the darker audiences the idea of doing this in the actual mainstream comics nah it was it just wasn't done like marvel had success with like uh, the clive barker stuff uh from epic when they wanted to uh, to touch the the older demographic uh, as far as horror goes, but uh, Morbius he gets pretty close for a, a Comics Code approved story. Um, there, there's a few crossovers with the Night Stalkers here and there. Um, even though Blade is going crazier throughout the duration of not just Night Stalkers but uh, the previous Tomb of Dracula series from the late '80s. Um, Blade's mind snapped at the end of that story. He could not cope with the fact that Dracula was defeated, utterly defeated. Actually, he had nothing else to do then, sort of thing. That's one of the things that uh, we overlooked in the 80s is uh, a major event that happened in Doctor Strange in the early 80s was the the casting of the Montessi formula, uh, named after uh, the monk who discovered it the Darkhold has a counter spell for every single spell that the Book of the Vishanti holds. 
Are the Vishanti. It was the Book of the Vishanti that was used to create vampires back in Atlantis in the Marvel Universe. So following that logic, if it was spells from the Book of the Vishanti, not necessarily the Vishanti themselves, but it was a spell from their book that caused this, there should be a counterspell in the Darkhold. Well, there was, and... Dracula figured this out, made great effort to thwart Doctor Strange, but with the help of the, the Night Stalkers, before they really became the Night Stalkers, back when they were just borderline investigations, a loosely affiliated group of private investigators, they, they successfully cast them on Tessie Formula, and they wiped vampires out of existence. Uh, following that, the only traces of vampirism left were the pseudo vampire michael morbius because he was not created through any spells any mystical infection or anything he had created the, himself. the spell didn't touch him at all um the the night stalker uh hannibal king uh is was a vampire but had never ever drunk uh human blood he had never taken a victim up to that point Oh, is that uh, Ryan Reynolds in the third one? Ryan Reynolds' character yep. in the third one. Okay. Ryan Reynolds in the third one. Except his character really seems more like Frank Drake. He does. Than yeah. Hannibal King. Yeah, and, so I was wondering why that yeah, name's on they, it Took me a they, second. There's, yeah, there's a few weird things going on in that Blade movie. <laughs> more than a few weird things. But um, they, because he's never taken a victim, that plus Doctor Strange's uh, surgical skill was able to save him. Uh, he survived without any trace of the vampire taint. Um, <laughs> and the third one was eventually the flaw that broke the spell years later. Dr. Strange had a skeleton in his closet. His, younger, his younger brother, Victor, had been infected with vampirism some years prior and when Strange couldn't directly cure him, he placed him in suspended animation. And Victor Strange was still in suspended animation when the Montessi formula was cast and was therefore spared its effects. So before, before Morbius's fall into the sewers, he got caught up with uh, the, the scheming to bring vampires back into existence um the the voodoo sorceress marie laveau based on the the legendary real life marie laveau um in the comics she had attained immortality through creating a serum from vampire blood um every few years she would have to create a new dose take it and that would retain her uh, youth it's coming time for her to make a new dose and there are no vampires anywhere she thought she might be able to use Morbius to do this thing, but as a science vampire, he's real fascinating and real neat stuff, but his blood is useless for her purposes. So she starts conspiring to try to bring back Dracula if she can. She finds out about Victor Strange, starts using him, manipulating him. And the end result, when all is said and done, is that Brother Voodoo's manservant, 
uh, sacrifices himself to try to keep the Lord of the Vampires from being resurrected, but just ends up becoming the vessel. And it's not Dracula that gets resurrected. It's Varney, the original uh, Lord of the Vampires from Atlantis, the one who was responsible for manipulating Dracula into becoming the Lord of the Vampires that he was. After 10,000 years of being Lord of the Vampires, Varney was just kind of sick of existence, uh, set things up to ensure that Dracula would not only become a vampire, but have all the proper motivations to become Lord of the Vampires. And then specific once dracula passes all these tests you know there's the story presented in dracula lives from dracula's perspective and then there's the story from bizarre adventures number ah crap i can't remember what number 20 something it's a really it the cover looks awful because it's uh like a fumetti type cover where you've got some guy dressed up as dracula with some buxom victim in his arms and it's really kind of a cheap looking cover and i could see how so many uh comic book readers back in the day would have just turned their nose up at that issue but man that issue's full of gold um the the varney story is the one of the few uh tot Lebin and bissette uh stories in marvel uh the creative uh, art team from uh, alan moore's uh, swamp thing run beautiful such, stuff. A, such a good run it's I don't, yes. I'm not a huge DC fan, but oh man, so I got the Swamp Thing. Oh, fuck yeah. The, the, yeah the, an, an enemy lesson. I think we talked about this once before, yeah. but I was so, so, so good. Like yesterday. Oh, so good. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll touch up on Swamp Thing a bit yeah. when we talk about Man Thing. Yeah. There's a fair bit of relevance. Yeah. yeah, there's a whole thing there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll get into that but, later. Uh, but yeah, Morbius got tied up in the whole uh, resurrection of the vampires thing, was witness to Varney coming back and. The only thing that saved him was the fact that Varney did not want to be resurrected and was a little bit blasé about what was going on. Like, he didn't really care too much about, like, oh, my enemies, kill my enemies, blah, blah, blah. Nah. Smack everybody around a bit. Take off. Find myself. Go on a little bit of a fact-finding journey. Take off, eh? Find where I fit in this new world. You know? it's It's been, like, 500 years. You know? There's a little bit of catching up to get to. But not at least um, at that point, Morbius, you know, he knew Doctor Strange, you know, get a little bit more ingrained into the superhero community that he becomes part of in the years to come. Because after, uh, as we get through uh, his monthly series, you know, we get him uh, tying up with uh, the Night Stalkers again, back to Blade, even though he's crazy with, uh, you know, just not being right. When they needed him back in the 80s, even though vampires weren't around, Doctor Strange kind of had to do some brain trickery to him. And then in the first issue of Night Stalkers, he has to make it worse by like, okay, well, Blade is obsessed with vampires. We, we need him, but we can't have the single-minded obsession. All right, I'm going to mess with your brain a little bit. And least your obsession is diffused among just hating everything supernatural this will backfire because blades condition deteriorates till we get to the midnight massacre 
an awesome crossover. This one is is something special. During the the lead up with uh, the Night Stalkers investigations, they learn about well, Blade learns about a spell from the Darkhold. During this time, the Darkhold spells have been showing up randomly being delivered by this mysterious dwarf. And the people who have been receiving them without having any knowledge about how to read these pages are just instinctively able to read them. Some wishes granted, their soul is taken and bad shit happens. So Blade learns about this one Darkhold spell that will wipe out the supernatural. Okay, cool. This is my bag. He tries to hide it from the other Night Stalkers, but there's backups to logs and stuff. They're hot on his trail. They're like, okay, Blade is just too far off the rails. He gets the spell. He reads it. He accepts the offer. And everybody is still standing. There's a little bit of shock and confusion. Like, I, th I thought this was supposed to just wipe out everything supernatural. And then Blade just smiles. It's not about wiping it all out at once. It's about hunting it down piece by piece. And he just starts slaughtering anything supernatural he can get his hands on and absorbing their powers. This is a bit of a turning point for Morbius in his monthly series because we know from issue one that he got infected with Lil and Blood. And there's implications that this may have had some other effect on him besides the, the power enhancement. Well, during <laughs> well psychologically speaking once we get to the midnight massacre yeah. at this point um an old friend of his and a, an old topic of discussion that we've mentioned before jack russell the werewolf by night, he's, by night. he's had some time pre previous to this uh, he's shown up in uh, spider woman he's shown up in west coast avengers his experiences have allowed him to get a complete hold on who he is psychologically speaking he has complete control over himself as both the human and the werewolf there's no there's no him and the wolf they are one synchronous individual he has complete control over his transformation he doesn't even freak out during a full moon so he's been hearing that morbius might not be in the best place mentally speaking so he shows up to try to give his friend some help <clears throat> he doesn't show up in time Morbius has tangled with Blade and Morbius has taken a hit and Morbius seems to be dead this is confusing because up to this point there was no indication that Morbius had any supernatural linkage whatsoever so the fact that Blade now known as Switchblade has just run him through and drained him of his powers this is a game changer. Further game changer is when Morbius opens his eyes back up and it's not Morbius in the driver's seat. It is the Lillen presence that has grown in him through the infected blood. Uh, this, this presence has a complete control over the Lillen abilities. Like it just oozes and slurps around kind of like uh, the Venom symbiote would when it doesn't have a host. And it... It shows up uh, when uh, the uh, when Switchblade finally has uh, Jack Russell in his hands. And prior to this, he's uh, killed and absorbed Demogoblin's powers. So he's generating like pumpkin bombs and he's generating uh, 
bat daggers and bat throwing blades and stuff. He's got a pumpkin bomb jammed down Jack Russell's throat and Morbius is just watching while this tiny little presence in his brain is screaming that that's his friend and he can't just watch his friend and boom, Jack Russell's head blows up. And well, Morbius attacks again and this time the Lillian presence in charge, you know, the, they both die. And one more for Switchblade's kill count. Uh, the five-issue miniseries runs from uh, Night Stalkers 10, Ghost Rider 40, Dark Cold 11, Morbius 12, climaxing with Ghost Rider and Blaze Spirits of Vengeance 13. Um, one of the members of the uh, uh, Dark Hold uh, Redeemers ends up uh, casting a counterspell to reverse the effects of uh, the Switchblade but she sacrifices her own soul in doing so and opens the door for a couple of other potentially worse things to happen down the line. And she kind of knows it and starts getting kind of really depressed afterwards. But that's the Darkstalker's problem. That's not Morbius's problem. Um, Morbius's problem comes from the fact that upon being resurrected and having a little bit more awareness of what's going on in his head, uh, he starts to get a bit more conflicted. Um, the uh, the Lilin, not the presence in his head, but the Lilin, the, the race of demons. One of the things they do to further try to entrench Morbius into their side of things is they bring Maritime uh, Bancroft, Morbius's girlfriend, back from the dead. She had been killed in Morbius number one not through Morbius's hand. She was outright murdered by uh, a different character. But uh, uh, a Lillian called Parasite ends up uh, using her body as a host, and they start trying to manipulate Morbius to be more like them through using her. It's It doesn't end out too badly for him because later on the, the Parasite presence is driven out of Martine, and they're actually able to kind of resuscitate her and she ends up being not a vampire but some new form of undead and it, again like with morbius they start to kind of question okay where do your loyalties lie the next big adventure is the siege of darkness uh this at the time was somewhat controversial because it is 17 freaking parts long back in the early 90s you know an Dude. advertised 17 part crossover oh. that's that's huge yeah i mean you compare it to some of the stuff that marvel's done over the last 10 to 15 years avengers first x-men yeah yeah that yeah. was huge yeah like, I, I look at this and I'm thinking, like, God, that crappy Curse of the Mutants crossover was at least this size, if not bigger itself. But, you know, Night Stalkers was, or not Night Stalkers, Siege of Darkness was a pretty good crossover. Uh, Lilith rises up again. Uh, she had risen up previously in a Ghost Rider story, uh, Road to Vengeance, The Missing Link. Uh, she started that teaming up with uh, an old Johnny Blaze villain, uh, Centurius. Um, not the same African-American super scientist villain that showed up in Thunderbolts. This is, um, I think this Centurius is 
some form of Native American. I think like Mayan or Aztec or something, potentially. He's he's really old, ancient human kind of thing. Um, got sorceress abilities. He teams up with Lilith for world domination type crap. But that story ends with the revelation that Zarathos, uh, the demon that inhabited the original Ghost Rider and caused uh, Johnny Blaze to kind of go evil towards the uh, end of that run um he's been hiding inside centurius the whole time and lilith is like all right i know uh i know when to hitch my uh, wagon to a new horse uh she kicks centurius to the curb he's like oh zarathos you bad boy what you doing tonight and they go for their own brand of world domination with lilith using her children to spread this black mist starting from Cypress Soul Cemetery, working their way outwards. Um, the Midnight Suns, the, the Nine, them and their allies are among the few that stand against this, uh, this mist. But because Morbius is infected with this Lilin presence in his head, he ends up not being one that they can trust. Uh, he uh, betrays them a couple times, uh, outright murders one of the other characters, um, not through his own volition, like it is the Lilin presence in his head causing all this. And eventually his allies find out that, okay, no, he is being controlled against his will. Can't really hate him for that. No blade, you sit down. Not the time for it. But by the end of it, Lilith is banished. Morbius is a little bit more freed from Lilith control. Gets to kind of go back to his own life. At a certain point, the Lilith presence is physically purged from his body and becomes a creature in its own right, a villain known as Bloodthirst. Um, but this does have the effect of removing a number of the uh, advanced abilities that Morbius had, like the the body morphic distension shit. Like, yeah, that's all gone. Um, moving on, his series does actually last for a surprising amount of time for a early to mid '90s spinoff. Uh, he runs like 30 issues. Like nothing else uh, from uh, the Rise of the Midnight Suns crossover makes it that long. Like Spirits of Vengeance um, is the next longest at like twenty something issues. Yeah, Spirits of Vengeance only makes it twenty three issues. Uh, Night Stalkers barely makes it twenty. Darkhold only makes it up to Siege of Darkness. Uh, issue sixteen is the last issue of that, and it ends with Siege. But Morbius, Morbius keeps trucking along past all these, uh, all the uh, the crossover type stuff. Um, the the negative backlash to the size of Siege of Darkness led to editorial kind of abandoning crossovers within the uh, Ghost Rider family of uh, stories. There's really not a whole lot of back and forth between stuff outside of Ghost Rider and Blaze's story. Uh, but uh, yeah, Morbius, I don't have the last issue, but makes it all the way up to at least issue 30. Um, the creative team does kind of change up a fair bit here and there. Um, 
reading about it on Wikipedia, there was some conflict between the uh, original two members of the creative team for that title. Um, Len Kaminsky, who uh, uh, he, he wrote Ghost Rider 2099, didn't he? Um, Len Kaminsky? Yeah, do you recall, Dan? I th- I'm pretty I sure he was Ghost Rider. I believe so? It you sounds like that else to me. He was writing? Let's was, take a look. I remember enjoying uh, his stuff, but uh, yeah, he and artist uh, Ron Wagner did not necessarily see eye to eye on uh, how to tell the stories. Um, yeah, basically, I think, wanted, you, yeah. I think the, the artist wanted more uh, action and the writer was trying to do something a little bit more Alan Moorish. It was Len Kaminsky, but he doesn't have a Wikipedia page, so it's not like I can just look at what else he's yeah, done. Yeah, I'm not too surprised there. Well, not not. I, there, I'm sure there is a page. I'm just not too surprised that the there's no link listed. No, it's a Reddit out link, which means it was a page that got deleted. Oh. Hmm. Crazy. Yeah, it's usually what it does when it's like that. So that brings us up to what about the mid nineties oh, or so? Nineties there, where things start to fizzle out because we start getting closer to the bankruptcy, where you know they're they're less willing to just keep throwing shit at the wall. Uh, Thirty-two. Yeah, there's doesn't seem as far as what I've got here in the horror stuff. There's not much. But I seem to recall there's a few uh, Spider-Man appearances he has uh, um, from there on out. Well, and it seems um, to be like from what I've read of a lot of appearances after that point, it seems to be a lot of those, you know, a writer would pick him up and he'd be a bad guy again. And then he'd be a good guy yeah. again. And he'd be a bad guy again. And... Yeah, he's another one of those characters that doesn't always get the most consistency because you get different writers that are like, oh, I remember this classic uh, Spider-Man villain with no real regard for, you know, what growth or development the character has undergone in the meanwhile. I seem to recall having some late 90s Peter Parker. Yeah, yeah. Early 97, uh, Peter Parker, Spider-Man. Wait, Peter Parker, Spider-Man? No. (laughs) Uh, This is the formerly objectiveless uh, Spider-Man title. So objectiveless is now Peter Parker, (laughs) Spider-Man. Yeah, Morbius is showing up as a Spider-Man villain there. Um, It's been a while since I've read these issues, and I don't seem to recall there being anything particularly revelatory in them. Uh, Usual, like, oh, no, Morbius, you're a bad guy. I can't trust you. Oh, there's a bigger bad guy to deal with, a greater threat. Oh, okay, I guess you're all right for now, Morbius. That kind of crap. Moving ahead through the Spider-Man. I don't think I got too much myself. I think after that, there's not a lot. I think the next big thing that really is there would be um, Marvel Zombie stuff. Uh, not quite. There was a little bit of his oh, the superior administration with, stuff around around yeah uh, Civil War because yeah. he registered and part of uh, his requirements for registering was that he had to help the government with their plot to bring Blade in. So he's like, oh, all right. You're going to help me with my problem and all I got to do is help trick Blade into this facility here with all these S.H.I.E.L.D. guys? Done. Like, uh, that's kind of a no-brainer. And Why not? Uh, there, what else did he do? 
But I guess I, I guess that was part of what uh, brought him into the Marvel Zombie stuff. Because he was uh, like working for Shield or something after that, right? Armor. He was armor, working yeah. with Armor because uh, they were the ones dealing with uh, the um, uh, alternate reality threats. Uh, there is the zombie stuff. We got a few boxes sitting here. Oh no, that's too far. There we go. Marvel Zombies Three. So th Marvel Zombies Three is where the Marvel Zombies virus uh, hits the Six One Six universe. Uh, previous stories had all been set in uh, different realities. And even in those stories, uh, the zombie virus had come from outside of those realities, uh, brought by a zombified version of the century who had decimated, if not just his own previous universe, universes prior to that. Like, we don't know necessarily how many he had been responsible for uh, having devoured. But when it came to the Marvel Zom or the 616 universe, you know, home team advantage. Our guys are just going to win. That's just how it is. But uh, so the, we roll in the six one six. Yeah. Um, but one of the uh, the things going on in Marvel Zombies three is that zombie version of Morbius has already infiltrated armor. Uh, is using latex makeup to hide the fact that he is a zombie, and has the real Morbius like hidden in his quarters in like a medically induced coma so like he can keep drawing blood off of him to sustain his own facade yeah <laughs> um, eventually when all that ends the real morbius kills the, the zombie oh he is pissed yeah. when, when he gets out of it he is real pissed to the point where he's like i'm getting the band back together and they're like next series midnight suns and the next series has Looks like Jennifer Kale, Hal yeah, Drum, Jennifer Kale, Jack Russell, and Man Thing. Yeah, um, none of them besides Morbius were Midnight Suns previously. Jack no. Russell was an adjunct to them, like he hung out with Morbius during that time. But I he was an associate, think, an associate. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not even sure if he even made it into like a Midnight Suns Unlimited issue. Like even the Legion of Night had a story in there. But uh, yeah, Morbius uh, puts together a group of uh, uh, Midnight Suns to deal with uh, any possible uh, remains of the zombie plague in the 616 universe. Uh, there, there's some shenanigans going down. Uh, the Hood tries to get involved with uh, buying said zombie virus. Uh, Dormammu tries to be Dormammu. Uh, As he's one to do. Yeah, uh, he preys on Jennifer Kale's fears of getting eaten by a zombie and tries to possess her. Doesn't go so well. Um, but following that, well, when we follow what's actually going on in the Marvel Universe, we know after uh, Civil War and all the registration stuff, Norman Osborn got put in charge of the Thunderbolts. He ran them pretty successfully till we got to Secret Invasion. Because he was running the Thunderbolts, they operated on a mix of Stark tech and Oscorp tech. So not all of their systems went down. And because of their security protocols, they didn't get infiltrated by any Skrull sleeper agents. Thunderbolts were in a position to be a major force for good during the Secret Invasion. 
But this also meant that Norman was on the front lines during the final charge. Norman was seen as the lead force in defending Earth and kicking the scrolls off of the planet. And as a result, he got put in charge of national security and replaced S.H.I.E.L.D. with Hammer. At this point, Morbius falls out of grace with the government, probably because, well, very few people want to work for Norman Osborn. Not a whole lot of the Thunderbolts did in the first place. And I assume that Justin Hammer has nothing to do with that? Nothing to do with that. Hammer, uh, Osborn's explanation was he wanted to send a different message than S.H.I.E.L.D. Hammer was much more totalitarian. The uh, they were the Nazi version of Shield. Yeah. Uh, that's that's all you have to say. Like it was Norman Osborn with his own like fascist army. Like it, it was spelled out in the comics. But one of the fun things that happened then was Norman Osborn put together a list of everybody that had offended him, and he wanted them dealt with. One of the things he had dealt with was the Punisher. He sicked Dakin, the son of Wolverine, onto the Punisher. You know, he had his analysts look at things like, okay, we figure out of all the guys you can rely on, this guy's got the best chance of being able to do the deed. And, oh, Dakin does the deed. He chops Punisher up into itty-bitty pieces and flushes him down the sewers. And before the Hammer Goons can retrieve all those juicy body parts... Well, there's Man-Thing covering the retreat of a whole flock of mole men who are running away with Frank Castle's parts. What the hell's going on here? And Man-Thing makes sure that... Oh, is this a Frankencastle? Yep. This is Frankencastle. They bring those parts to Morbius. Morbius stitches them back together along with parts from some form of a Cadillac, maybe several Cadillacs. And then we have got a gigantic pissed-off I can't think of anything to go beyond pissed off. <laughs> a giant monstrous version of Frank Castle. Um, because he is still healing, he is kind of beholden to the uh, the monsters. Like I said before, they're hiding out in uh, the former Morlock tunnels. Uh, Hammer does not approve. Well, Osborne does not approve of... Uh, well, Osborne's a man of science. Magic and monsters and the supernatural... They're, they're not his deal. He is not going to tolerate that kind of shit. So he is being pretty oppressive to the monsters, and the monsters need... If it was just monster muscle power, they wouldn't have a problem. They need a soldier. They need a tactician. They need a warrior. Morbius knows exactly who they need. So Morbius has the unenviable task of having put the Punisher back together, making sure he doesn't fall apart (laughs) before he gets himself blown apart. I mean, the number of times he has to deal with the Punisher being injured or damaged or just fucked up again, eventually he he resorts to to putting a bloodstone in uh, Frankencastle. It's like, okay, that's it. There, there's no way he's going to live unless I do this. This is a bad idea. You don't have to tell me this is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. But it's done. And it, it was a bad idea, but 
from an editorial standpoint, it was a good idea because it allowed them to de-age Frank Castle to a point where he can still be a Vietnam veteran, but now like he he had the blood gem for so long and healed so much that he's basically a guy in his 40s again. Uh, Morbius, uh, he was one of the main supporting characters in it. There was a, a fairly large crew of uh, monsters involved in that run. Um, the Manphibian, uh, he was one of them. I think Jack Russell was, uh, yeah, Jack Russell was one of them. And I think Nikanti the Living Mummy was another one as well. Um, as a result of that, Morbius was not involved in Marvel Zombies 5. Uh, that was Howard the Duck and Machine Man's Time to Shine. That was good fun. Um, unfortunately, from here on out with Morbius, it's mostly... Uh, it's mostly just with Spider-Man. For the most yeah, well, well, the stuff with Spider-Man is at least, you know, classic Morbius. Yeah. Uh, the Marvel Now era gave us the Marvel equivalent of Lobo from the New 52. So if you remember that crappy Lobo being the emo, stupid teeny one, emo yeah. one, that's basically what the Marvel Now Morbius was. It was still Morbius, same character, same history. But all the fans who followed Morbius' history were like, this isn't going to be some Twilight ripoff emo, oh, woe is me being a vampire, sucks kind of, uh, you know, mopey crap. Oh, no, 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 it's not going to be that at all. And it's exactly what it was. I don't really, I pride myself on the fact that I am a completionist in the sense that if I start reading something, I want to give it a chance to the finish. Like, even if I'm not enjoying it, I want to see how things conclude. I dropped that Morbius comic. It, it just sucked and it wasn't going anywhere. You know, he was again, living in the streets hanging out with street people that you know he wants to help but he doesn't want to help because he's got to remain detached you know there's way too many analogies with you know drug addiction and the sort of mental problems that can uh, can come with uh, heavy drug use you know it, it was preachy and heavy-handed and it didn't do anything like there really was no point to the comic it was a waste of paper I have no need to go back and reassess it. <laughs> like, oh, uh, thank you. Kevin, I think I read the most recent story that he appeared in. Uh, when what what happens there? Uh, currently, so he actually was current Spider-Man arc that's going on, where they've done the whole Ben Riley has taken over as Spider-Man, working for the Beyond Corporation. Yeah, I saw something about that. Yeah, Beyond uh, doing uh, a lot Ben of, Riley's back. Yep, yep. Uh, nice. He's been back for a little while now. Oh, yeah. Doing a lot of little sort of stuff in the background and, and causing all sorts of weird things and. Well, I mean, it turns out they had Morbius and they used Morbius's blood and I think the lizards to make a Morbius lizard monster, which <laughs> Morbius, Misty Knight, and Colleen Wing had to go take out. Uh, Morbius took it out by letting it bite him and then it blew up. Yeah, apparently he was part of Spider Island as well. Yeah, yeah, but and I mean, he... that used a lot of Spider-Man characters, right? Yeah, no, I'm just saying that he was the mysterious number six. Ooh, mysterious number six. Did he escape oh, yeah. the island? Uh, well, they didn't know that he was Spider-Man. Spider-Man. No, sorry, they didn't know that he was Morbius. Ah. When Peter Parker tried to investigate the identity of number six. So that in 
implies that he didn't know. I really think that Peter Parker would be both the best boss to work for and the worst boss to work for. Yeah, he'd let you get away with whatever you want and give you like all the time off you'd need, but at the same time, he would be completely unreliable, and I imagine half the time you wouldn't get paid because you'd forget. <laughs> uh, I, you'd have to have somebody really trustworthy running payroll. Yeah, probably. But, uh, yeah, um, I haven't heard any grumblings right now about any uh possibilities that marvel's going to capitalize off of uh the morbius movie well by now we or anything i mean the, the movie's been in the can for like two years so i'm betting that any any real plans were discussed and dropped like two years ago how do you mean in, in which respect well like you know if they were going to release a comic book alongside the movie like oh, they right. do, you know that like two years ago you know they probably would have maybe planned something, but since the movie got delayed so much, they may have just, you know, kind of dropped whatever plans they had. Marvel's got vaults full of inventory stories that they've paid for that just haven't seen the light of day. (laughs) So, I guess not... I mean, uh, one that comes to mind right now is a few years ago, Tim Seeley uh, was tapped to do uh, a new Blade series that followed uh, a daughter of Blade. And like blade is in his 90s now blade is almost 100 years old in the comics now so oh, really? the fact that he would have illegitimate offspring scattered around the world like uh, it's, it's a it's it's you know about as even odds as wolverine having illegitimate offspring around the world and we know he's got lots of them yeah so <laughs> the, the idea with that there would be this this you know female teenage daughter of blade you know kind of marvel's answer to buffy the vampire slayer but it then never came out and never came out and never came out. And then Tim Seeley revealed that, yeah, there was some question about, you know, him being a white male writing a black teenage girl. Here I was like, okay, so the guy who, you know, gave us Hack Slash is going to basically do the same sort of thing for Marvel. And people have a problem with this because... Oh, that's so very very sad but yeah that's that's an example of something that marvel has presumably a couple of issues of well, in the vault a couple in the vault you know probably never see the light of day uh that sucks yeah they're like because marvel aside from stuff like that marvel will also commission inventory stories uh stuff to uh fill the gap if uh the regular story uh misses a publication date so say you've got uh, spider-man and you know you've got this story building up month after month but the writer or the artist has gotten burnt out and they they're not going to have the material ready for the deadline so you either go with uh, the dreaded deadline doom and provide a reprint because you the reader demanded it which isn't always accurate or they go with an inventory story. You know, they have some other creative team at some point during production. Like, okay, we want a couple of issues in the can just in case. You take this script, this one-off story here. You guys do this one here. And then they'll take one of those ones off. Okay, here. This one doesn't interfere with continuity whatsoever. We'll just slap that in here. Spider-Man goes off. He fights the rhino. And there, we've had a nice little interlude. Back on track for next week. Uh, but then they end up having you know uh, an assortment of these 
uh, these filler issues that they don't end up needing from time to time. Nice. And for a while there, they kind of stopped doing that altogether, and then Marvel got back into it with their point one issues or things like that, right? Because yeah, for was... a good long while there in the early 2000s, if something was delayed, it was delayed. There was no fill-in. It was just delayed. Yeah, uh, some It depended sometimes on the title, like um, bringing back up Thunderbolts, uh, Warren Ellis's run. Uh, that was a heavily hyped uh, uh, series. That's what got me uh, reading Thunderbolts uh, uh, on my pull list at that point. And it was subject to delays. And they didn't want to lose the momentum on that series, so that's where they had a bunch of one shots uh, expanding upon various uh, plot threads that Warren Ellis probably would have dealt with in his own time, but you know, they don't really, they don't need to be part of his. They can just be put in there like, okay, this is now put out there for the reader to see. We can touch up on that later on. Or as other writers have said, you get 22, you only get 22 pages a month. So you do what you can and some things you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a different matter for debate when you compare uh, decompressed storytelling that we get nowadays to comics from, you know, years past. Like if I'm, when I'm sitting and reading comics on my break, if I take something like from the seventies up to even the nineties, a 10 minute minute break will usually, like 10 minutes of my break will usually take up an entire comic. But then as I get like towards like the two thousands and later, like, Sometimes I can get through two or three comics in a 15 minute break because there's just so little story in between those pages. It's been spread across so many issues just because they're, they're telling stories for the trade and not for the issue. If you know what I mean there. So there's a fill, uh, fill in space. Yeah. Oh, lovely. So yeah, so so that is Morbius, the living vampire. There's not really much else to go on because we kind of got all the way up to uh, well nowadays, right? All right. And then I'll be able to go uh, see uh, see the movie tour and see if uh, any of this is brought up at all. (laughs) But uh, go ahead. Like I said, uh, his origin as it is, has nothing to do with Spider-Man. So making his story, like doing his own solo movie first, that that one actually makes sense. It's not like taking Venom and having to figure out like, okay, how do we transpose this out of Spider-Man and make it its own thing? Yeah. We can follow the cartoon or, or what, what do we do? You know, I think making Venom its own thing, independent of Spider-Man, had too much opportunity for failure. Um, I don't see the same problems with Morbius. I think Morbius's problems are unique to itself. <laughs> I don't. It's I personally have. I personally have no problem with uh, Jared Leto. Uh, I think he's a fine choice for Morbius. Um, I don't necessarily think that his supposed method acting sensibilities would necessarily get in the way of something like the Morbius character and you know the it's it's an anti-hero vampire movie I mean there's not a whole lot you can do to elevate it above what's already been done but you're gonna have to do something bad to screw it up so 
we'll see what happens. Well, it is Sony. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Sony doing their own thing. Yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, do we think uh, the Matt Smith character is all they do? Do you know if that's like one uh, from the comics or if it's his own? Uh... From what I understand, he, he is originally playing... was, but they rewrote him. Rewrote him to be somebody else. Uh, yeah, from from what I saw, um, Matt Smith, he's he's playing Milo Morbius. Yes. Oh. Yeah. There there is no Milo Morbius in the comics. Oh, so they they're related somehow, or it seems to be. Um, uh, it uh, says here that it is his surrogate brother. Uh so like the hell does that mean? Morbius, a surrogate brother, a rich adopted man, brother. Named, just let me finish. <laughs> says. Morbius' surrogate brother, a rich man originally named Lucian, who suffers from the same rare blood disease as Morbius. Oh, so it's, a, it's the sort of thing like, ah, oh, I'm just like you. We're, we're, we're buddies. We're brothers. Um, apparently, he was announced originally the Nancy who was going to be playing uh, Hunger. Hunger. Uh, I'm not familiar with Hunger. He's a Spider-Man villain by the looks of it here, created by Howard Mackey in issue 76 of the Objective List series. Wait a minute! Don't I have that? That yeah, that's <laughs> that's actually part of uh, a series that uh, includes Morbius. Well, because I mean, I mean, it's hard to be using him, right? He'd be, I guess, assuming he's a villain, a Morbius villain, and it sees here that he is a vampire. Let's see this guy dressed in black. Oh, these these were kind of dense issues back in the day. I think Marrow even shows up around that point and tees up Spider-Man. Marrow didn't get enough credit. Still, yeah, I don't see him, but I'll have to just actually look through the issue more thoroughly. All right, so yeah, yeah so then I can then that once we do uh, the the, the uh, next episode, I'll say I'll tell everybody what I thought of the movie because I'll be as I said I'll be seeing it tomorrow. So. Yeah. All right. We so, all right, all right. So, uh, all right. Well, thank you everybody for joining us this week. And uh, yeah, I think uh, actually, where am I going with this? I don't know. Uh, look for us on Twitter at the Marvel Pod or Instagram at the Multiverse of Marvel, or and then just listen to us wherever you get a podcast. And until next time, listen. Yeah, read some comics, folks.